All right, we'll take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 8. As you know, we just finished chapter 7 last week, and so this will be the first week of chapter 8, and it has 39 verses, and so uh, we should be there for a little while. Uh, You've heard me say before, there is never, ever a time to rush through the study of God's Word. Because then all you're going to do is look back and say, how much did I miss? How much did I miss? You don't want to miss anything. And so we always want to take our time. Now, for a couple chapters, Paul has spent a good amount of time dealing with the law. There were some Jews there um, in the church at Rome who were either confused Um, Or maybe some of them were young in the faith. It's possible for that as well. But Paul felt that it was important to share uh, some very specific truths that would be more um, specific to these Jews. He made it clear early on in this letter that as believers, they were not under the law. They were under grace. Now, to make sure that there was no confusion there, because, you know, when, when you read something, a lot of things may go to your mind, and Paul understands that they're going to think certain things. So to make sure there's no confusion, especially those who might be thinking, wow, hey, we're not under the law. We can just live life by our own standards, right? Many people would think that. Well, because of that, he said in chapter 6, verse 1, he says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And of course, his answer was absolutely not. The strongest negative you can find in the Greek, no, no, no. That is not how it works. Matter of fact, 15 verses later, chapter 6, verse 15, he said once again, shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Same answer, absolutely not. Well, from there, we continued forth into chapter 7 on the same subject matter. And he said in verse 4, he said, you died to the law. How did you do that? Through the body of Christ. Now, for them, obviously, they didn't die physically, but they died spiritually. Okay, And this is kind of bringing everybody back to chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. The physical death, the physical part, if you will, was through Jesus Christ. He died physically for us. He died on our behalf. You and I would typically know that as the substitutionary atonement. When he died as our substitute, it was as if we died, period. When he died, we died. Matter of fact, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He bore our sins on his own body on the tree. Okay? He had no, obviously had no sins of his own. He bore our sins in his body. And so his, his suffering for us, his suffering being applied to us, would be sufficient to meet the demands of the law. By him taking our place, we were released from the law by way of justification, freeing us from the penalty of the law. What is the penalty of the law? Death. It is death. Now here, still in chapter 7, in verse 6, Paul will now make a statement 
that will give us his first thought. It'll give us a, a little hint, if you will, on what we're going to see in chapter 8. He said this. He says, but now, by dying to what once bound us, meaning we're, we died to the law, he says, we have been released from the law so that, listen, we may now serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. Okay? Now, folks, up to this point, that was only the third time that Paul has actually mentioned the Holy Spirit. Okay? And even here, he doesn't necessarily follow up with any additional information. Uh, he doesn't dig in. He doesn't really explain anything from there. He just makes that statement. Well, he went on from that, without really saying a whole lot about the Spirit of God, he went on from there into the second half of chapter 7, which we've looked at recently, uh, to ultimately deal with two things. Okay? Number one was the perceived question of, well, if the law doesn't save us, if the law doesn't sanctify us, if we are, Paul, as you say, not under the law, then what's the purpose of it? Why do we have the law, right? How does God use it? And as you know, Paul dealt with that by explaining to them through his own personal testimony, his own personal struggles, that the law was used to reveal sin, and that included his own, okay? The moral law of God shows us that we, all of us, fall short of it, okay? When we look at the moral law of God, what do we see? We don't look, we don't look at it and say, man, I'm just, I'm rock solid, I'm great. We don't. We see where we failed, see? Secondly, he also uh, took on the issue of sin, okay? Our sin, by the way, yours and mine, and why we do it, okay? Paul said of himself in verse 15, as well as in verses 19 and 20, that he would fail God, that the apostle Paul, faithful, godly man, would fail God, okay? He says in those verses he wanted to do what was right. He wanted to honor God with his life, but yet he would still sometimes catch himself doing the exact opposite. And I know we've all dealt with that very same thing. And so what did he do? He explained the dilemma in verse 17 by saying this. He said, it is no longer I myself who do it, but, he says, it is the sin living in me. Now, did you see where he separated the two? He separated I myself from the sin living in me. Okay. Now, I know that, that statement might seem a little odd, but remember, as partakers of Jesus Christ, okay, all of us here have, number one, a divine nature. Second Peter chapter 1, we are partakers of the divine nature, but we also have that horrible thing we know as the sinful nature, don't we? We have both. Okay? And that's why it says in verses 21 through 23, Paul says, I find this law, this principle at work. Well, what is that principle? He says, when I want to do good, evil is right there with me. It's right there. He goes on and he says, for in my inner being, I, I, I delight in God's law. Right? I want to fulfill it. I want to live it out. Then he says, but I see another law 
at work in the members of my body. And what is it doing? It is waging war against the law of my mind. It's waging war against the things that I want to do, the things I desire to do. Folks, Paul just said it is a war. It's a war. And as he said of himself, there are times when he, like us, will lose a battle. We will lose that battle. And that's why he went on to say, oh, what a wretched man that I am. Paul, like you and me, sees his own shortcomings more than anybody else. Outside of God himself, nobody more, knows more of your sin than you. See? And this is why at the very beginning there, in verse 25, it is so critical. He says, thanks be to God through Christ Jesus our Lord. Listen, folks, the law, once again, was there to reveal our sin. Our own sin nature defeats us sometimes, and this is why, I mentioned this before, we all have to stop and do what he did here and literally give thanks to Christ for his saving grace and his forgiveness. I don't know each person's individual life. I don't know your thoughts. I don't know your struggles. I don't know your sins. But every time you do fall short, besides maybe coming to the Lord and asking for help to overcome that, asking for wisdom, asking for forgiveness, but thanking him for his forgiveness. It truly is an amazing thing that when, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, he's going to forgive the sins that you commit five years from now. I mean, most of us would say, I wouldn't have saved you, right? But he did, and he's going to. You're darn right, every day you should be thanking God for what he has done for us. Matter of fact, this is why or where Paul actually picks up now in chapter 8, and we're going to see that right now. Read with me, if you will, verses 1 through 4. We are not going to make it all through four verses, uh, but I want to read those nonetheless. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do, in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. And before I begin here in verse 1, I want you to notice there as I read that at the very end there at the end of chapter 4, he says, we live according to the Spirit. Okay? We don't live under the law. We do not live by the dictates of our sinful nature. right? We, believers, Jew and Gentile alike, we live, or sometimes translated walk, according to or by the power of the Holy Spirit. All right? Similar to what he said earlier in chapter 7, verse 6. We serve in a new way of the Spirit. Okay? 
We talked a whole lot before about sin and the law and the law and sin and our sin nature and struggles, but you kind of got to go, what am I supposed to do? How do I deal with that? And of course, Paul is going to get into that in chapter 8. As I said earlier, Paul has only mentioned the Holy Spirit three times in the previous or previous two chapter 8, and he doesn't really expound on anything. But things are going to change, okay? The Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is mentioned 19 times. <laughs> 19 times in Romans chapter 8. Uh, for those of you taking notes, that's a lot, okay? That's a lot to talk about any one second. 19, that's basically every other verse, okay? With Paul having already stated that we're not under the law, that the law can't save us, the law can't sanctify us, there, there's no transforming effect by living under the law, but it does reveal our sin. He's now going to show us through this entire chapter how we are to live in order to overcome that sin, okay? Which is simply we live, we walk in the Spirit. Well, let's begin here in verse 1. I'm going to read that once again. Many of you know this verse. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, the word therefore, as I'm sure many of you all know, basically means based on what I just said. Right? When you see the word therefore, it's based upon what I had just said. Now, that can sometimes mean, just look at the previous verse, right? But other times, like right here in our text this morning, you might have to take the, the, the principle of the entire chapter and bring it together, okay? Here, as you guys remember, and we spent a lot of time in chapter 7, here we've learned that the purpose of the law is to reveal sin, right? We also know that within you and me, we have a sin nature, and that sin nature desires to rebel against the holy standards of God. And outside of Christ himself, every single human being was born with this nature, right? We all know Romans 3.23, for who has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God? All. For all have sinned. David from Psalm 51, verse 5, he understood this. He said that he was sinful at birth. Sinful from what? His own conception. Wow, right? He grasped that. MacArthur points out that man is not simply influenced by sin, but is completely overpowered by it. And no one can escape that dominance by his own effort. Sin is a defiling disease that corrupts every person, degrades every individual, disquiets every soul. It steals peace and joy from the heart, and it replaces them with trouble and pain. Sin is implanted in every human life, and its deadly force brings a universal depravity that no one can cure. It can't be cured. You can't take a pill. Okay? 
So because, folks, of this sin nature within us, this unholy desire to literally resist God's truth, we sometimes fail, and guess what? We sin, right? Paul talked about that all throughout chapter 7. That sin has consequences, okay? The consequence, ultimately, of that sin is death, physically, which really came through Adam, right? We die today physically because of Adam. We will die spiritually because of our own self for those who don't know Christ. But the, but the death is the consequence of our sin physically and spiritually. Here in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, he says, sin entered the world through one man, death through sin, right? Death came through sin. Once again, we're still in Romans chapter 6, verse 16. doesn't get clearer than this. Sin leads to death. Okay? Sin leads to death. One more, 623, the wages of sin is death. Death. Therefore, utilizing the word that Paul used here in verse 1, condemnation has come upon every human being. Now, the Greek word there for condemnation is, it's, it's very simple, it's very easy. It just means penalty. That's all it means. It just means a penalty. Now, Thayer's Greek goes a little bit deeper, and it says it is a damnatory sentence. It's not just there's a penalty. Well, he, Thayer's Greek is dealing with what that penalty is, which is a damnatory sentence. Why so strong of a language? Because the sentence, that sentence, that, that penalty is spiritual death. You can call it eternal separation from God. As Dave mentioned this morning, or we can just simply call it hell. Where there's weeping and there's gnashing of teeth. Where the fire is never quenched. Where the worm never dies. But we can go on. What a horrible, horrible thing. And as Paul has been pointing out to the Jewish believers in the Roman church, it is the law that starts this. It is the law that uncovers our sin. It is the law that condemns us. See? But here in verse 1, this is good news, but here in verse 1 is where Paul flips to the other side of that coin, and he says, but... For those in Christ, there is no condemnation. Now, even though there might be some practical punishment on this earth because of your sin, right? There might be consequences for your wrongful actions on this earth. Eternally, though, there will not be any. But let me make this clear. It's not that because we don't deserve it. We're no different than anybody else out there. It's not that we don't deserve it. It's not that we're better than the next guy who's a sinner. But it's because of what this verse says. This verse says we are in Christ Jesus. We are in Christ Jesus. The last song we sang in that name, what is the name, 
Jesus Christ. It's everything to you and me. Now, how did this happen? How did, we, how did we become in, if you will, Christ Jesus? Well, right here in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, we all know this word, we were justified. Very simple, um, simple words to describe that is we were declared to be righteous. Even though we're not, we were declared to be righteous because of our faith in Jesus Christ. Catch that, folks. You and I were declared to be righteous because of our faith in Christ. Okay? It was He who went to the cross. It was He who atoned for our sins. Turn back, if you would, to Romans chapter 3. We were there about seven or eight years ago. All right, just kidding. But... Uh, it's been a while, I'm sure. But in Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 21, going through part of verse 25, he says, But now a righteousness from God, listen, apart from the law, has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Listen, folks, this righteousness from God, that's where we get it from, folks, from God. It comes through our faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. It says there is no difference. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's, check out this news. And are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Him as a sacrifice of atonement, or if you will, the propitiation, through faith in his blood. You can always go back and, and, and hear that sermon again, but there's a lot happening right there, right? But folks, all because of that redemption, all because of that justification, us being declared righteous, all because of that, that imputation where he gives us his righteousness, right? What a switch, by the way. I mean, Jesus took our sin. We did it. We committed the sin. He didn't. But he took the punishment for our sin. And yet, if that wasn't enough, he gave us his righteousness. That's how, that's the only way that we can be declared righteous. There is no other way, right? But all because of those things that verse talks about, because of those, we have a union with Christ. We are one. We have a oneness with Christ. Galatians 3.27 says we have been clothed with Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, he talks about how we are a part of the body of Christ. We are a member of, a piece of, one functioning member of the body of Jesus Christ. And of course, when you think of those words, in Christ, you have to go back to chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, which is just probably one page back. He said this, he said, don't you know 
that all of us who were baptized, that word simply means to be immersed. We were immersed in. Okay, you're not baptized. This has nothing to do with water, okay? He says, don't you know that all of us who were immersed into Christ Jesus were immersed into his death? We were therefore buried with him through immersion into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Folks, when Jesus Christ hung on that cross and he ultimately breathed his last, it was just as if we did. I want you to grasp that. When Jesus Christ hung on that cross, it was just as if you and I hung on that cross. God Almighty accepted Jesus' death as if we ourselves were dying. And of course, when he rose, we rose. Okay, Once again, you're kind of thinking of that substitutionary atonement. God made it as if we participated in it. That's how he's looking at it. That's how he can look at us at at having no condemnation, being declared righteous, being justified because we're in Christ. Because of what he did. He made it as if literally we participated in that. This is how we can say we are in Christ and we have no condemnation. But never forget, it has zero to do with you has zero to do with what you've ever done. And it has everything to do with what Christ has done for us and with what God did. God took Jesus' death and, for lack of better words, gave it, applied it to you and me. He accepted Jesus' death on our behalf. He didn't have to do that. We deserve our own sin. We deserve the, the punishment, I mean. We deserve the condemnation. But he said, I'll take his death and I'll apply it as if you died and you rose. If you ever want to know what grace is, put it right there. That's it, right there. Martin Luther said this. He said, it is impossible for a man to be a Christian without having Christ. And if he has Christ, he has at the same time all that is in Christ. What gives peace to the conscience is that by faith, our sins are no more ours, but they're Christ's, upon whom God has laid them all. And that, on the other hand, all Christ's righteousness is ours, to whom God has given us. Christ laid his hand upon us, and we were healed spiritually, like you see in Isaiah 53. He casts his mantle upon us, and we are clothed, for he is the glorious Savior, blessed forever. How many of you believe that you are blessed? Folks, we are absolutely so blessed. Not getting what we deserve, folks, that is what we call mercy. And that is a tremendous amount of mercy. We're not getting what we deserve to get. 
Now, as we move into verse 2, some of your translations might begin with the word for, F-O-R, but it's actually better translated because, as Paul is going to give us the reason why there is no condemnation for the believer. And you'll see that as I'm going to read verses 1 and 2 together. Once again, he says, For there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Verse 2, because, here's the reason why there's no condemnation, okay? Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, before we look at this verse, I want to remind you of what I said uh, last week, okay? In chapter 7, verses 21 through 25, I mentioned how the word law was used seven times in those verses, okay? Every one of them is the normal Greek word for law, nomos, okay? But it didn't necessarily mean that it talked about the Mosaic law or God's law or the moral law, okay? It's like any word being used in Scripture, you must allow the context to determine the meaning of the word. Okay? Here in verses 1 through 4, see the wind or rain? Here in verses 1 through 4, the word law is used four times. Okay? So, in other words, don't just look at that word or any word in Scripture. Don't just look at that word and feed it a definition before you look at how the author used it. That's kind of hermeneutics 101, interpretation 101. I've known too many people who just take a word and they know what it means here. You know, the word salvation, it means to be delivered from. It may not mean being saved. Depends how the text is being used, right? It's important we grab that as we continue in this this passage, and certainly as we go through this book, as he deals with the law. So beginning here in verse 2, here is why there is no condemnation for those in Christ. The first four words of my translation says, because through Jesus Christ or Christ Jesus. Okay, the word because, here it is, because through Christ Jesus Folks, he makes this very clear as he should. Even though he's writing to the church, even though I'm talking to you, the church, he makes it very clear. It is through Jesus Christ. If you are ever, ever talking about salvation, about redemption, about forgiveness, about about being free from sin's penalty, it is never outside of the context of Jesus Christ. If you take his name out, everything that I just mentioned, right, redemption, forgiveness, you possess none of those. None of them. There is no forgiveness. There is no justification. There is no redemption. And you will suffer the penalty for your sin if you pull that name out of there. 1 Timothy 2.5, you should know both of these verses. For there is one God and there is one, count it, one mediator between God and man. The man who? Jesus Christ. One. Remember, Jesus has no peers. Okay? One. John 14, 6. You know that one as well, I hope. I am the way Jesus says. I am the truth. I am the life. How many people come to him 
No one, no one comes to me unless the Father draws them. No one comes to the Father except through me. Not even one. Zilch. Nada. Not a single person. I don't care how nice they are, how good they are, how sincere they are. They do not. Matthew 7, right? The worst words you can ever hear ever in history. When somebody dies and they stand before God, they stand before Christ, and they say, Lord, Lord, as if I'm here. What did he say? I don't know you. Who are you? What do you mean, who am I? I, I taught, I discipled, I, I healed, I, I did all that. Are we kidding me? This is somebody who thinks they're heaven bound. And yet Jesus himself says, I never, never knew you. And he casts them into outer darkness. It's through Christ and Christ alone. That must be clear before any conversation continues. Period. Jesus plus nothing. And so through Jesus Christ, he says, comes the law of the spirit of life. Now, the word spirit here is, uh, is obviously talking about the Holy Spirit. It's the Greek word pneuma. I mean, it can mean different things in Scripture, right? It can mean wind. It can mean breath or spirit. Here, it's the Holy Spirit. And I think it's very clear, number one, because of the contrast that he's showing from the second half of the verse. And also, number two, based on the context of the entire chapter, we know he's talking about the Spirit of God. We don't live under the law which cannot sanctify us, but we do live or we are controlled by the Holy Spirit. Okay? It is through Him. It is He who empowers us to live the life that God desires. Which is why I started this off. It's not through the law. We don't live a life that God desires by obeying the law because, number one, we can't obey the law. Number two, it just tells us you, you screwed up, you failed. So then how do I do it? Through the Holy Spirit. It's also important here that the word law is the, spirit, the law of the spirit of what? Life. The spirit of life. Now, to better understand that, you might just simply say uh, the spirit that gives life. You can phrase it that way if you would like. Life, spiritual life, does not come through ourselves. It doesn't come through our spirit. It doesn't come through an evil spirit. Well, that only leaves one. It comes through the Holy Spirit. Life. Listen to Titus 3.5. Titus 3.5. It says, speaking of Christ, he saved us not because of the righteous things that we've done. We've already learned that, right? But because of his mercy. And then it says, he saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. The New Living Translation phrases that he gives us new birth and he gives us new life, which I like that. It makes it simple for us. New birth and a new life, meaning new life now, right? A transformed life. Only the Spirit of God can give spiritual life to a spiritually dead person. 
Think about that. You're spiritually dead. Only he can, quote, spiritually resurrect that life to give you a new life, a new mind, a renewed mind, a changed heart. That comes through God's Spirit. 2 Corinthians 3, 6. It says, He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter of the law. I'm sorry. Take it back. Not of the letter of the Spirit, for the letter kills. But listen, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives life. Life. Listen, folks, there's a reason why Jesus said in John 16, verse 7, that it was good that he goes away. Remember that? Jesus said, you know, it's good that I got to go away. Of course, Jesus was going to die. He's going to leave this earth, right? He was going to raise from the dead. Uh, he was going to ultimately ascend to the Father 40 days later. But he said, it's good that I'm leaving because then he could do what? He can send the Holy Spirit. Jesus said in John 14, 17, that the Holy Spirit would be with us and in us. Jesus couldn't be in us, but hey, it's okay that I'm leaving. You know, it's, if you're the disciples, you're going, dude, are you kidding me? You know, they didn't quite get it that he was going to die. But what do you mean you're leaving us? But, but the Spirit of God will be in you and with you. Okay? Now, what did that do for us? Well, back to verse 2. The Spirit of life, the Holy Spirit who gives life and new birth, it says he sets us free from the law of sin and death. The Spirit of God, through him working in our lives, giving us life, giving us renewed life, what does that do? That sets us free from the law of sin and death. Now, folks, the word law here is the same. Nothing has changed here in verse 2. It is a principle. It is, you can call it a rule if you want. Uh, maybe if you want to call it a governing principle, right? We look at that way, that, or, uh, we look that way sometimes ourselves. We are, we are governed by rules or laws, right? You can use it that way if you'd like to use it. But the key here is that the spirit of life Spirit of God who gives life, what did he do? He set us free from sin and death. He set us free from having to live a life of sin which causes death. Sin which brings forth death. I read that earlier. Folks, this was that controlling influence uh, of sin that we talked so much about in the previous chapter. It was that sin nature that would continue to drive us to rebel against God's holy standards. Which, by the way, as it says here, brings forth condemnation. Right? That condemnation is death, spiritual death, eternal hell. When living a life in the Spirit, under the control of the Spirit, we will overcome a life of sin. We will overcome that sin nature. You cannot be governed, you cannot be controlled by the Holy Spirit and your sin nature at the same time. That's impossible. Matter of fact, Galatians chapter 5, I read this a few weeks ago, verse 16, 
He says, walk or live, depending on your translation, walk by the Spirit and you will not, you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Catch that? Doesn't say you might not, could not. I hope you don't. It says you will not if you walk in the Spirit. And by the way, this is the exact same principle you get from Ephesians 5.18. Many of you know this. It says, do not be drunk with wine, which is dissipation or excess, but be filled with the Spirit. Notice it's always the Holy Spirit. It's like the fruit of the Spirit. It isn't the fruit of you and me. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Okay? But he says there in, in Ephesians 5.18, the, the, the whole principle is, he says, don't be drunk with wine. He starts off there. Understand, there's nothing in that entire chapter has anything to do with alcohol or wine. Nothing, zero. So it's not, that's not the, the point. The point is, what does that do? For those of us who have a unique past life, who've been drunk 500 times, we know that alcohol controls us. It controls what we say. It controls how we act. It controls what we think. It takes over us. It does, if you've been there. I hope you never will again. That's what he says, but be filled with the Spirit of God. Let the Spirit of God control your entire being. Let the Spirit of God control everything that you are. And trust me, folks, this is very simple. When you're filled with the Spirit, you know what's going to be next? The fruit of the Spirit. When you are controlled by the Spirit, you know what's going to be coming out of each one of you? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Because that's the fruit of, not you, the Spirit, because He's in control. And therefore, there's no sin there, is there? You're not yielding to your sin nature, you're yielding to the Spirit of God. Listen, folks, the law of sin brings forth death, physically and spiritually. Through the Spirit, we have a new life, physically and spiritually, Titus 3.5. I've said this before, but you know, let me just say this again. If it were possible to lose your salvation, and there is not, you can't be born again and heaven bound one day, and then the next day somehow not be born again and bound for hell, Okay? But if it were possible to lose your salvation, we would. We absolutely would. And the key to that is the Spirit of God that is within us. If God said, all right, people, you're saved. Congratulations. Go ahead, put your hand out there. Congratulations, good job. You're saved, it's all good, congratulations. Best of luck to you. You're on your own, but I hope you make it. Nobody would make it. We would fail the first day. But he gave us his Holy Spirit to indwell us. And Ephesians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14 says, he is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Guaranteeing. It's God who keeps us. Right? Through his Holy Spirit. We're not saved by grace and kept by works, we're saved by grace, we're kept by grace. And that's because the Spirit of God is within us. God didn't leave us hanging, as I like to just simply say. The Spirit of God is how we live that life. And he's going to continue that conversation throughout all of chapter 8. As I said, he will mention the Holy Spirit 
19 times in this chapter. So it feeds off of what we learned before. We talked a lot about sin, our own struggle, our own sin nature, what the law, how it affects us. But now he says, but here's how it works. Now here's what you need to understand, and here's how you need to live. Okay? And we'll get into that, of course, as the days and weeks go by. Let's pray. Lord, thank you um, for this time. Thank you, Lord, for giving us your Holy Spirit. Thank you for his indwelling ministry, Lord, that he indwells us. Romans 8 9 tells us that. If, if, if your spirit is not in us, we're not yours. Thank you, Lord, for commanding us to be filled, to be controlled, to remind us that we need to yield our lives to you. And Lord, you will never go outside of your holy word. And so we always put those two together, your word and your Holy Spirit. Would help us to see that as we learned before in chapter 7, we are sinful people. We do struggle. We do battle. It is a war, as Paul said. But there is a way to overcome that sin. And Lord, we're forever grateful. As I said, we would definitely be losing our salvation. We would definitely fail if, it, if you just said, okay, you're saved. Best of luck to you. But Lord, you know and you are gracious and your spirit came to live within us. Thank you, Lord, for your love to us. In Jesus' name, amen.